Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We humans are storytelling creatures. Every society, every culture has its stories. The stories that shape people's understandings of who they are and what the world is like and what their role in that world is. Neuroscientists have even discovered that when people are presented with a compelling story, their brains release the hormone oxytocin, which contributes to our feeling connected to other people. So God created us so that even biologically, stories are a crucial component of how we connect with others and how we understand our world and our experiences. You don't actually have to be a neuroscientist to understand that, though. C.S. Lewis, who was a great apologist and lay theologian of the middle of the last century and who also wrote the children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, he had a really firm grasp on why stories are so important, especially as part of the life of faith. In an essay that was published in the New York Times in 1956, Lewis wrote about fairy tales, and he said, I thought I saw how stories of this kind could steal past a certain inhibition which had paralyzed much of my own religion in childhood. Why did one find it so hard to feel as one was told one ought to feel about God or about the sufferings of Christ? I thought the chief reason was that one was told one ought to. An obligation to feel can freeze feelings. And reverence itself did harm. The whole subject was associated with lowered voices, almost as if it were something medical. But suppose that by casting all these things into an imaginary world and stripping them of their stained glass and Sunday school associations, suppose one could make them for the first time appear in their real potency. Could one not thus steal past those watchful dragons? I thought one could. In other words, C.S. Lewis knew that a good story could help all of us find our place in the story. This great cosmic story about how God created everything that exists and called it good. How we as humans rejected God's goodness and his sufficiency when we wanted to be gods ourselves and thus there was the fall. How God sent Jesus to redeem the world from sin and death and how one day he will restore all things. That great story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration that is woven through the whole Bible. The story we know is the gospel. Except often, I think, that we think of the gospel, the good news, not so much as a story than as a series of propositional truths. Jesus came to die for our sins. He was crucified. Three days later, he rose again. And if we believe in him, our sins are forgiven and we can have eternal life. Now, all of those statements are entirely true, but they don't really express the gospel. 
Because the gospel is so much more than that. The gospel is this great and beautiful and compelling and true story of God and God's love and how God will let nothing stop him from sharing that love with the world that he created. I know of nothing that does a better job of capturing the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel, than the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't own this little book, I promise you, it is the best $10.80 you can spend on Amazon right now, so please go home and order it. The illustrations are beautiful, the text is poignant and funny, and even after three years of seminary and ten years in ministry, I still learn things every time I pick this book up. So indulge me for a moment, because I'm going to read to you the opening pages of the Jesus Storybook Bible. A little story time. Can you see the illustration? <laughs> God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words, too, and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day... But wait. Our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. And then you get the creation story. During this Eastertide, 
we are thinking about what it means to be faithful witnesses of the risen Christ. And this morning, I want to say that part of what it means to be a faithful witness of the risen Christ is that we are people who know where we fit in God's story and that we are people who can help other people find their place in God's story also. And that's what we see happening in the story of Paul and Barnabas that we read in Acts 13 today. We start off with Paul and Barnabas coming to the city of Antioch in Pisidia. Now, if you read much of Acts, you might hear a lot about the city of Antioch, but that's the other Antioch, the one in Syria, that was Paul and Barnabas' home base. It's where they'd been commissioned as missionaries and sent off. And so they traveled a bit, and they eventually came to this other city called Antioch in the region of Pisidia. And it's in the southern part of what is today Turkey. And this Antioch was a big city. The road that went from Ephesus, the uh, major port in the west, um, and which is on the west coast of modern Turkey, that road that went east as a major travel route, that road went through Antioch. And there was a big Jewish population in the city, as well as a lot of what the Bible calls God-fearers, who were Gentiles, who maybe hadn't fully converted to Judaism, but were still part of the community of the synagogue. So Paul and Barnabas arrive in Antioch, and they go to the local synagogue. And this is what they usually did when they came to a new city to share the gospel. So in the synagogue, the scriptures are read, the law and the prophets, and Paul is invited to teach. So he stands up, which is unusual, usually teachers taught sitting down, but he stands up, he gestures for everybody to listen to him, and he begins to tell a story. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in Egypt. That's how Paul begins his story. It's in verses 17 to 25, which weren't included in our reading this morning. But in those verses, what Paul basically does is to recount the history of Israel from the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through captivity in Egypt, through the Exodus, they're coming into the promised land in Canaan. And Paul talks about how the people of Israel asked God for a king. And so God gave them Saul and then David. Finally, Paul gets to John the Baptist and to Jesus as he comes to this part of his sermon, comes to the end of this part of his sermon. It is a whirlwind tour of thousands of years of history in a mere eight verses. But there's something really interesting about how Paul tells the story. Israel isn't the main character in the story. God is. New Testament scholar Beverly Roberts Gaventa says, Paul relentlessly presents Israel's history as the history of God's activity. As Paul is proclaiming the gospel to the people in Antioch, he does it by presenting it as God's story. And in verse 23, he begins his pivot toward Jesus. He says, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. And then in verse 26, he says, 
brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, fellow Jews, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. Paul's beginning to bring his hearers into this story that he's been telling. And then he tells them about Jesus' death. He tells them that the people and the religious leaders in Jerusalem didn't recognize who Jesus was as the Messiah because they didn't understand the prophets. The prophets, speaking in those scriptures that were read every week in the synagogues, they spoke about the Messiah who was to come. But, Paul says, the people and the leaders, they didn't understand those prophecies They didn't understand where Jesus fit into God's story as it was told in the scriptures. They didn't understand, and so they had him killed. But Paul proclaims, then God raised him from the dead. And in verses 32 and 33, he says, We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Again, we see Paul presenting Jesus and the good news of the resurrection as part of this larger story, as part of God's great story of salvation. And finally, in verses 38 and 39, Paul gets to the end of his sermon He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Don't miss what this is. This is Paul inviting his listeners, both Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, inviting them into God's story of salvation. Through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to them. Through Jesus, they will be freed, all will be freed who believe in him from the bondage of their sin, which is what the law of Moses shows us all. Paul has been telling the people at Antioch the great story of God's creation and the love for his people and God's commitment to rescuing them. And Paul is inviting these people in Antioch to take their place in that great story. And by doing that, Paul is being a faithful witness of the risen Christ. While our reading for today ends here, the story of Paul and Barnabas in Antioch doesn't. And if you read to the end of chapter 13, which I'd encourage you to do sometime this week, you'll find that at first, Paul gets a really great response to this sermon. The people actually beg him to come back and tell them more next week. They follow him out of the synagogue. They want to hear more about his encouragement for them to, quote, continue in the grace of God. So Paul and Barnabas do. They come back the next week. And huge crowds of people come to hear them. Not just the Jews and the God-fearers who were there in the synagogue regularly, 
but regular old Gentiles, too, pagans. And suddenly, the regulars at the synagogue get nervous, and they get jealous. They're probably jealous of all the attention that Paul and Barnabas are getting. And they're probably worried that these outsiders are going to end up having more influence in their city than they do. And so they speak against Paul and Barnabas, and they refute what they say, and they insult them. But Paul and Barnabas aren't deterred. In fact, they see in the synagogue's leader's rejection of them, they see God's direction for them. Because if these Jews, if their fellow members of the people of Israel, if they won't receive God's story, then Paul and Barnabas are going to take that story to the Gentiles. Because what God has shown Paul is that God wants everybody to find their place in his story. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too. Because that is what's truly at the heart of the good news of the gospel story, that God's salvation is for everyone. That God wants all people to be God's people. And when all those Gentiles in Antioch heard this, when they heard that they too had a place in God's story, Acts tells us that they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And even though the leaders of the synagogue were so upset that they had Paul and Barnabas run out of town, the last verse of chapter 13 tells us that the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Because that's what happens when we find our place in God's story. But why? Why does it make a difference that we, that you and I, have and know our place in God's story? Well, if we know our place in God's story, if we accept that, then it means that we know that we are rescued. We know that we have experienced the salvation that God offers to us in Christ Salvation from bondage to sin and death, and freedom to live in the love and joy and freedom of God. Knowing that we have a place in God's story also means that we know that our lives matter. If you think about the vast span of human history, And if you think about how unbelievably complex just one day in this modern world is, sometimes it can be easy for us to doubt that our lives really matter, that they can make a difference. But if we know that our lives are part of God's story, it guarantees us that our lives matter. Because in God's story, everybody has a part to play. And to God, there are no insignificant parts. There are no extras in God's story. Because God has created us, and he loves us, and he calls each of us to a unique and valuable place in his story. 
And so when we find our place in that story, then we come to know in a very deep way that our lives really do matter. I also think that knowing that we are part of God's great story helps us when there are aspects of our lives or other people's lives that we don't understand. Because we only ever see part of the picture. Even though we know the overall arc of God's story from creation, fall, redemption, restoration, as humans we are incapable of knowing every detail of that story. And so it's hard for us sometimes to understand our lives and how they fit in, especially when we are experiencing pain or trauma or loss or disappointment. It's hard for us to understand where these hard things fit into God's good story. And it's okay that it's hard. We don't have to. God doesn't want us to talk ourselves out of our pain or our confusion or our grief. But it can help while we are standing in the middle of those things to remember that there's more to the story than just this moment. There's more to our story and to God's story than we can ever understand. It doesn't make the bad things not bad, but it does help us to know that they are never the end of the story. And if it makes a difference for us to have and to know our place in God's story, then it'll make a difference for other people too, especially to people who may not yet know anything of God's story or don't believe that they have any part in it. And so part of what it means to be a faithful witness of the risen Christ is to help people find their place in God's story. How can we do that? I'm not going to give you a crash course in evangelism because I wouldn't be the person to teach that anyway. But there are a few ideas I'd like to share. First, if we're going to help people find their place in God's story... It helps to be able to tell God's story. Not just the story of God's action in your life, although that's really important and it's powerful, but also this larger story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And in all seriousness, this book can be a great resource for this. In every Bible story that gets told in this book, there is a connection made between that particular story and the great story. The subtitle of this is Every Story Whispers His Name, and every story in the Jesus Storybook Bible does whisper Jesus' name. So this little book can help you understand how the Bible isn't just a collection of individual stories, but how together they tell one big story. And second, and maybe a little counterintuitively, if we are going to help people find their place in God's story, we need to listen. Not talk so much as listen. 
First of all, because listening well to someone is a tremendous and powerful act of love. So when we listen well to someone, we are letting that person experience a taste of God's attentive love for them. And God's love is the point of God's story to begin with. But we also need to listen well because we can't possibly help people understand how their story fits in God's story if we don't listen well enough to know what their story is. So we listen well. We ask thoughtful and caring questions, not to satisfy our own curiosity, but to help people wonder about or explore some aspect of their story or of God's story in a new or deeper way. And third, when we have listened well, then we thoughtfully, we consider thoughtfully and humbly sharing some way that we can find a connection between their story and our story and how we understand our story as part of God's story. Now I say thoughtfully and humbly because there is nothing worse than a conversation where you have just bared part of your soul to a person and they respond with, well, that's just like the time when I, dot, 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 and proceed to tell a story that doesn't really relate to what you share and ends up making the conversation all about them. A funny, and at this point in my life, I look back and think it's a sweet example of that. When I was in fourth grade, my grandfather died. And I went to school the day after he had passed away, and I told my friend Anna about it. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I know how you feel. My cat died. <laughs> and even then, I knew Anna really loved her cats, and she was trying to say something really kind to me. But that's really not what we're going for here. But when we listen well and empathetically to another person, then we can connect our story to theirs in a way that can be loving and truly caring. So say someone has shared something vulnerable and meaningful with you, and you've listened well enough to have earned their trust. Then you might say something like, I'm so sorry you're going through that. I can only imagine how it must feel. You know, there was a time in my life when I also felt angry or hurt or grieved or whatever their situation is. And it was so hard. And at the same time, in the midst of it all, God really showed me his love or compassion or presence or comfort, whatever it is that God showed you. I'll be praying that God does the same for you. Maybe the person you're talking with will ask you to tell them more, in which case you can. But if they don't, you have still given them two precious gifts. The love that is shown by listening well, and the seed that you have planted in them, that God cares about them and is present and is active in their situation. That God has a story and there's a place for them in it. Part of every good story is the ending. And the Jesus Storybook Bible does a great job with the ending of the Bible, which is Revelation, 
Not an easy one to adapt for children, but it does well. It captures the main idea that God will bring his kingdom to earth and there will once again be perfect love and fellowship between God and all of his creation. And it says this, It was hard to squeeze all John saw in his revelation into words and fit it onto a page and cram it into a book. All the words on all the pages of all the books in all the world would never be enough. I am the beginning, Jesus said, and the ending. One day, John knew, heaven would come down and mend God's broken world and make it our true, perfect home once again. And he knew, in some mysterious way that would be hard to explain, that everything was going to be more wonderful for once having been so sad. And he knew then that the ending of the story was going to be so great it would make all the sadness and tears and everything seem like just a shadow that is chased away by the morning sun. I'm on my way, Jesus said. I'll be there soon. John came to the end of his book, but he didn't write the end, because of course that's how stories finish, and this one's not over yet. So instead he wrote, Come quickly, Jesus, which perhaps is really just another way of saying, to be continued. And then it closes with this, a paraphrase from the first chapter of John's Gospel. For anyone who says yes to Jesus, for anyone who believes what Jesus said, for anyone who will just reach out and take it, then God will give them this wonderful gift to be born into a whole new life, to be who they really are, who God always made them to be, their own true selves, God's dear child. Because you see, the most wonderful thing about this story is it's your story too. Thanks be to God. Amen.